sexy nerds of the Nerd Imperium. Welcome to this week's episode of the Currently Nerdy Podcast. We are your inner conclave of nerdum. My name is Diz, and I am your pop culture and sports nerd. Ali? I am Ali, your classic nerd. And today, our <laughs> guest host is absolutely fucking nobody. I did that <laughs> yeah. in my Conor McGregor. Yeah, we, yeah, we decided uh, to give uh, the guests a break, even though they were super, super fun, and yeah. just have Diz and I uh, chat amongst ourselves for a really mm-hmm. interesting episode. Also because uh, uh, this episode, I think both of us have really strong opinions and, and a lot mm-hmm. of opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it would have been unfair. We might have been talking over the guest, but we will have uh, future guests. We have some interesting topics uh, lined up, but today, uh, slightly different. Uh, Diz, what's new in your world? Bro, okay. First off, I want to say shout out to Triple H and Steve Austin. Right now, it's me and you. We're the two-man power trip. That's the name. That was the name of their tag team back in the 2001. <laughs> I think it's a perfect tag team name for us, two-man power trip. Um, second off, uh, you know, there's been a lot going on in my life. There's going to be some interesting changes coming up soon yes. in my life. I can't speak about them right now, but... When the He's time embargoed. Comes. He's embargoed. Yeah, yeah, I'm embargoed. Yeah, I'm not allowed to. I, I signed an NDA. Um, once that NDA gets uh, released, I'll be able to then talk about the wonderful stuff going on in my life. But right now, I can't bring that up. <laughs> but I will tell you about some shitty stuff going on in my life, okay? I can't tell you about the good. I can tell you about the shit. Fair enough. Ali, 2020 is like the worst mosquito bite on human civilization ever okay yes so we got people dying from covid 19s we're yeah. quarantined you know yeah. we're stuck in our houses we can't do anything um people are fucking losing their jobs all this shit and while this is going on i live in california still you yeah. have been lucky enough to leave california I fled. but you know it's a season here in california right yeah it's wildfire season yeah Fucking California is burning again, as it yeah. does once a year. <laughs> and, like, not just one place. There's, like, seven fires going Anywhere, on right dude. now. San Francisco, yeah. uh, like, up, up in L.A. Like, luckily, it hasn't come down here in Orange County yet, but it's yeah. only a matter of, like, weeks or days yeah. that it's going to hit This is here. the worst part about um, the California wildfires. California's a huge state. People don't understand how big it is. I, didn't, I knew California was large intellectually, but I didn't feel it until I came out here to the East Coast because every time someone's like, oh, I'm in Connecticut, it's like a 30-minute drive. I'm like, what? You know, like, <laughs> we're, so clo- we're so bunched up in the Northeast mm-hmm. that you drive a couple hours in kind of any direction and you'll hit another state. Easily. New, yeah, like new, where I'm at, I'm in Philly. New Jersey yeah. is like 30 minutes from me. Yeah. New York is two hours from me. Mm-hmm. Someone was talking about like DC. Oh, DC's about like three and a half hours. I'm like, what? You know, it's like, oh, I, we just drove up from D.C. I'm like, well, you did, you did what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, this is very weird to me because a disc can attest to this. In California, you drive several hours in either direction. You're still in California. No, that's not true. If we drive south, we're in Mexico. Okay, south, that's because we're very far yeah, south. Yeah, we're, we're, we're right. super south. Yeah. We're super south. And again, that's one of those things you realize only once you look at the map of SoCal. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, shit, it's actually really far south. Um, but in general, any direction you kind of head in, you're still in California. I mean, literally, you drive five hours north and you're hitting San Francisco. Think yeah, about that. Here, here's the thing, right? People call San Francisco Northern California, it's right? Not. It's, it's not. not. There's still, like, if to leave California from San Francisco going yep. north, you still have to drive another five hours. Yeah, I didn't realize how, how far, how much more there was until I started hanging out in wine country for a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, we were doing some trips. Not, not that I drink wine. Yeah, and up in Napa and Santa Rosa and all these areas. Not that I drink wine. 
but I was, uh, I was giving a talk uh, at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And friends of ours were like, oh, why don't we just hit wine country? I'm like, well, okay, I've never been. Might as well. And I realized, oh, shit, there's a lot of California left. Dude, yeah. <laughs> After insane. Berkeley, San Francisco, Oakland, that area, there's a lot more. So the point of all this is to say, like, California is massive. And something about the wildfires, though, is that it's, it usually spans the entire state. Mm-hmm. When Northern California is on fire, so too is Southern California. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. The, the point of this is to point out that that's how big these fires are. Yeah. You can go hours in any direction in California and still be in California. It's a massive state. But somehow the fires span it all. And they've become seasonal. I remember growing up, the big fire we had, there was a couple big fires, but there were a couple of them. Mm-hmm. One was so big, it was in the 90s, uh, I think late 90s, if I'm not mistaken. It was so massive and so close that uh, we woke up and we thought it was snowing, but it was ash. Ooh. And that was the big fire of the 90s. And then there was like one other one in like the, the really, really early 2000s. And that's it. Those no, were the it big was 2007. Fi- 2007. Those were the big fires growing up, right? Where I was either in, in school or I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Huge. Now, post about 2012, we'll say, from 2012 on, California has these seasonal fires where like every summer around July, August, and September, these three months, these massive fires break out and they're almost impossible to contain. I mean, the last fire we had, the last couple fires we had ended up not only killing a lot of people, but just doing outright insane amounts of damage yeah, to the last state and property yeah it was it was wild it was um they, they called it it was like some some like religious sounding name fire yeah, paradise hills or something I yeah it was. paradise it was the, fires yeah because it was a uh, the area was called paradise something or yeah other. um yeah it was one of those things where you look at it and you go holy crap this is this is really alarming this is really scary um and that's that's partly because you know climate change we are now in this moment where as a result of you know increasing temperatures drying out of california california went through a year's drought Mm -hmm. um that these fires have become a seasonal thing and danger now the east coast has their own version of it and that's hurricane season right the gulf and the east coast now see hurricane season has been a lot has been going on a lot longer than fire season has it's true but now we're in this moment where the hurricane season is like back to back and huge. So we're about to be hit by it. The Gulf is about to be hit by a massive hurricane, tropical storm, some shit or another. Right? I forgot her name. Uh-huh. Um, and they're talking about how it's actually going to split into two hurricanes. And so people will be caught in between these hurricanes. And it has a particular meteorological name when two hurricanes line up this way and apparently it's only happened twice in in a hundred years um so yeah we are 2020 2020 bro i'm telling you man like someone actually tweeted the other day is like whoever ordered the hurricane for 2020 (laughs) or or it's like 2020 this was not what we ordered (laughs) yeah bro look all right i'm gonna give you some trips or some tricks for the hurricane all right all right um in case your power goes out and like your water goes out right uh fill like when the hurricane starts hitting and like you notice like heavy rain fill your bathtub up with water Uh all right so fill your bathtub up because if you have to use the bathroom and you flush there's not going to be any water coming in from the pipes so you have to refill your toilet with the like the toilet bowl the top Uh, of it with the bath bathtub water so that way like you're able to like poop and pee in peace you know 
And that, yeah, and it doesn't just sit there and stew for hours until you get power again. Um, yeah, that's huge. Uh, get some like portable battery packs if you can. Um, well, I don't, I don't think you'll need it. You'll just need a fucking book and like maybe like a a lamp. Like yeah, that. I'm. You know, I've dealt with power outages, not long ones. Though. That's the key, right? Like, because sometimes these some power outages go out, go for days. Yeah, it's true. So yeah. we'll see. It should be interesting. The thing that's a that's that's sort of like that fascinates me about all this, right? It's like you were anyone who's been paying attention at all could tell that there's a difference that things are changing climate wise, right? So mm-hmm. people who deny climate change, I'm always like, forget if you don't understand the science, fine, right? Not everyone's smart. It's okay. You're stupid, but you know your own life. Right? You've grown yeah. up and you can see the difference from when things were when you were a child. For me, it's the fires. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I know we had fires. There's nothing new about fires in California. Yeah. California's got large spans of desert. It's pretty hot. But I also knew that we had two big fires growing up. And yeah. then, as an adult in my 20s, we had, we had fire after fire after fire after fire. That should tell you something. Same thing if you're on the East Coast. You always knew that you had hurricane season, right? But now mm-hmm. you're in this moment where hurricane season means, you know, massive hurricanes that leave you days without power. You know, just account, like, incalculable mm-hmm. damage to property. That alone should help convince you that, okay, maybe climate change is legit. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's something we can deal with. Yeah, right. Not just a hoax from the Chinese. Not just a hoax from the Chinese. But seriously, twenty twenty. I do feel guilty because, I t- personally, twenty twenty hasn't been too bad for me, like as in my personal life, right? Yeah, me too. Um, but it, it has been one of those years where I don't think anyone's gone unscathed. No, right? I mean we lost someone right, yeah. because of COVID. Um, there was, uh, you know, the reality of being quarantined was, you know, as as much as. <laughs> as much as I enjoy my solitary, it's like it's real. You feel it. It's like, oh wow, it does really, it does really affect your life. Yeah. So yeah, it's 2020 has been definitely a strange month, but it's also been slightly comforted by the fact that if any time period, you know, that needed a like that could survive a quarantine, it's 2020 because of its conveniences. Also, right? Like, it's true. You get your groceries delivered. You can order food. You can do like the. You may be, we may be quarantined, but let's be real. Like, we're not, we're not living in real quarantines. Right? Yeah. But and the endless entertainment that we have available at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. Right? Can you, let's be real. If you were growing up in the, in the late 90s and you had to quarantine, think about fuck, it. Fuck, dude. I right? don't know what the hell I would do. Because we, we, we were the last generation that played outside. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, my summers weren't spent inside the house. I was yeah. outside like yeah. eight, we're, nine hours a day. We're those kind of middle millennials, right? Yeah. Who are now in our, in our early 30s. But that meant we grew up in the, uh, our like formative memories, our late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Pre which, uh, internet days. Yeah. Well, pre, pre, pre high speed internet days. Yeah. Pre high speed internet days. I and mean, the only time, the only thing that we use the internet for was AIM, really. Yeah. Right. For the social components. That's the only real social components of the internet. Not, we were, and some people use chat rooms and stuff. So we were outside. If you, mm-hmm. if you, if you wanted to be social, you were outside with your friends. Imagine quarantining during that time period of your life. Right? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I would do. Right? 
right? it's it's like insane. I would read, but but the social like you can't you can't talk. I mean, you'd have to call your friends. Yeah. Three-way call, maybe. <laughs> right? That's the most you could do. Couldn't fucking Zoom. You couldn't Zoom. You can't Skype. You can't do any of that. You can't FaceTime. No. You, you know, group messages. You mm-hmm. may, maybe like you could hop on to AIM. Um, yeah. So, we yeah. Group we, chats and AIM. I remember that. Yeah. That was the original group chat. We're definitely uh, lucky. 2020's quarantine has, has been easy. I mean, literally, you could just watch Avatar or, or whatever on Netflix all day long. Yeah, I've been uh I've been watching stuff on like HBO Max. They've been that's a new one that they have out. So like I I started watching Game of Thrones again and I realized it's not as good as I thought it was initially even like, you know, <laughs> I get over it. Yeah, yeah. I, some some of that stuff really if there's any episode, like Game of Thrones is fascinating. We should do a whole separate episode on on how fascinating Game of Thrones has been in that like it was such a cultural phenomenon, right? Uh-huh. Like, literally, our points of references are, you know, winter is coming, all of that. That's, yeah. that's Game of Thrones. But it was so badly handled towards the end that it... It ruined the beginning dro- of it, yeah. yeah. it dropped from people's cultural memory. I've never seen a cultural phenomenon like that lose its impact that quick. Like, t- take a look at Harry Potter. It's a cultural phenomenon as much as we love and hate it, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is it still is. People yeah. could still talk about what house they're in and whatnot. Compare that to like almost the collective deliberate forgetting of Game of Thrones, of Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah. and it does, and it and it, that also sours rewatches because I tried to wa- rewatch an episode and I couldn't get through the entire thing. Yeah, I got over it, bro. And then I fucked up and I tried to rewatch Entourage and I realized that Entourage just isn't for me anymore. <laughs> no, you've, you've become too woke and too smart. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it doesn't fuck work. these guys. These people are horrible. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, I, that's what I thought. I was like, yeah, there's no way it is. Yeah. You've become too smart. You're too, uh, you're too woke. You're too enlightened for, for it's, Entourage. It's, it's funny. I used to love Entourage, bro. Like, I literally, like, I recorded every episode. I had, I had a box set of like seasons and i was just like i try to rewatch it and i'm like all right i'm gonna rewatch this i remember i used to love this show like and i'm sitting there and i'm like bro these fucking guys are assholes why the fuck did i ever like this show it's so bad it's it's funny like the things that you used to like as a kid or not even as a kid i was a fucking young adult i was like 18 19 watching entourage but like the things that i used to like as a young adult watching back now i'm just like wow like I can't believe I watched this and thought that this was entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's actually kind of one of my favorite things about, uh, you know, when you're trying to rewatch stuff from when you're younger or things that you used to like, because that's a really good marker of how much you've grown. Right. Of what you can tolerate. Because there's there's things growing up that you can tolerate, but then when you get older and you look back on those things, you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the the, no, the characters no. that you used to think were like the good guys, and you yeah. look at them now, you're like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> a prime example of this is uh, "How I Met Your Mother." Oh yeah, right? growing up, Barney is is the ultimate hilarious character. You kind of want to be him, you kind of don't. But then you look back, you're like, "Holy shit, he's horrible." He's a fucking predator, bro. <laughs> he's a total predator, yeah, right? Fucking Barney Stinson's a predator. Yeah. Like, if it was anyone else but fucking Neil Patrick Harris playing that show, <laughs> yeah, I said the exact same thing. Like, if it wasn't for Neil Patrick Harris, that show would have been would have been socially canceled. Yeah, bro. Ages Look, ago. The only redeeming character on How I Met Your Mother is Marshall, and yeah. like that's it. That's the rest it. of that's them all true. suck. The, us, the rest of them absolutely suck. It's also interesting because it's another one of those examples of a show where the main character Ted, 
He's the worst. He's the worst. You absolutely hate him. Ted is like, Ted is really manipulative and yeah. gaslighty. And like, there's all sorts of like, you watch, because I've watched a couple of the episodes recently. And I just went, and by recently, I meant like two years ago. Uh, I'm like, holy crap, this really didn't stand up. And I remember I used to fucking love that show. Yeah, I, I did. Really I really loved yeah. it. I, I remember I was like, as much as everyone hated the series finale, I didn't hate it as much because like I got like an ending, right? And yeah. like I, I was, yeah, I wasn't as satisfied with the ending as I wish I could have been, but I was still satisfied enough with it, right? Yeah. Right. But then I rewatched it and I'm like, this fucking ending sucks. Ted sucks. Fucking Barney sucks. Robin sucks. Marshall is okay, and Lily sucks too. <laughs> like, like this, these fucking people are terrible. I try to rewatch Friends, and I want to just punch Ross in the face. Fucking Chandler and Joey are homophobic as hell. Like it's just the worst. Yep, I, yep. I can't rewatch this yep. stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I I never got into Friends too much because I I couldn't could never relate. Right, it was a bit too white for me. But it is one, another one of those instances where I didn't realize how bad it was until much later. Mm-hmm. So like this is this is a kind of fascinating you know uh, moment in which your your maturity and your growth can be marked by your changing tastes in media, yeah. like what offends your sensibilities or not. People go when you get older, you don't think that you don't take that stuff seriously, but it's the opposite for us, right? It's like the older we've gotten, the more aware we've gotten because no one yeah. is born woke, no one's born, you know, sensitive to these things. No one is uh, uh, born recognizing that hey. Or at least no one has their childhood, we should say, right? Yeah. Aware of these things. But you grow up and you start to become more considerate. You become more thoughtful. You're aware of consequences and, and the damage that can be done with certain rep- forms of representation. So it's, it is interesting to see how, how we've grown in that way. Which actually leads us to this really interesting moment that we're, that's happening right now on social media. Uh, around a Netflix show or a Netflix movie that is a French movie that's now being played or released or something in America, and it caused all sorts of controversy. So did you want to talk a little bit about what this controversy on the social media side was uh, for our listeners? Yeah, so uh, the film in question, I think it's a movie, right? Yeah, it's a movie. Um, it's, uh, it's called Cuties. Right, mm-hmm. uh, it's from France, and the movie's about an eleven-year-old girl who uh, rebels against her family and joins a uh, free-spirited dance crew. And I put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's accused of sexualizing young girls, right? Yeah. Um, and th- they said it's because of the viewing pleasure of pedophiles. Yeah. So they say this because, like, uh, Netflix has been putting out like pictures and posters of the movie, which mm-hmm. have like these eleven-year-old girls, like in they're just showing off like their stomachs and like their legs and stuff. And like, people yeah. are saying like, dude, this is disgusting. This is like sick. Like what's wrong with you guys. Um, so Netflix uh, put out an apology on Thursday. So August 20th, uh, Netflix put out an apology. They said, we're deeply sorry for the inappropriate artwork that we used for uh, Mijones. I don't know how to fuck. I can't speak French, Yeah, uh, which translates to cuties, which is the name of the movie. It was not okay, nor was it a represent, representative of this French film, which won an award at Sundance. We've yeah. now updated the pictures and description. Um, so yeah, people got really mad about that, and as they should, right? Um, yeah. There was about, like, what, 50,000 signatures to get it taken down from Netflix. Um, yeah. They're keeping it up. Netflix yeah. decided they're going to keep this movie up because they think, like, the promotional material, like, was bad, but the movie itself isn't. Um I don't know if I want to watch the movie, to be honest with you, because 
if your promotional material is like half naked 11 year olds like yeah i'm not well it's gonna check out your movie this is what's interesting too is like so the outrage was was righteous and quick Right, mm-hmm. because the it, the images were a little uncomfortable. Right, it wasn't just that these were young girls in a dance competition and they were scantily clad. Right, that that in of itself, you're like, all right, it's it's awkward, but you know, teen pageants or, or these little mini kid pageants exist. Right, but it was also the description, the way they talked about how these girls were uh, awakening to their femininity. Yeah, that's an 11 year old or a 12 year old. Don't that's gross, right? Um, and and so this is, it's fascinating to me because Netflix either didn't watch it, yeah. didn't care, and it really speaks to this, the way in which Netflix fundamentally operates. It's an algorithm-based system, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't care about quality. It doesn't care about storytelling. It doesn't care about any of this stuff. What it cares about is does it check a series of boxes? So even when it comes to things like representations and diversity and whatnot, it's all about checking boxes. There's not an actual real thought there. And we've talked about... Uh, Netflix's story by algorithm method before about yeah. why every good show gets roughly canceled around the second season, mm-hmm. right? Generally, a couple seasons and no further because it's about profitability. Yeah. People will continue to pay for Netflix. They'll continue to be subscribed, but not, uh, new subscribers aren't coming in for a TV show that's three seasons in. Yeah. Right? No. So you have you already have a fan base. You have a great fan base. In other words, like you could have something could be critically acclaimed and popular both. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Netflix doesn't operate the same way that a TV show does, which needs ratings. Yeah, because they have right? ads. Netflix doesn't have ads. Exactly. They need ads. So the, for them, ratings matters. But for Netflix, subscription matters. Mm-hmm. And a season that is three or four seasons in could be super popular, be getting millions of streams. Right, mm-hmm. could be getting uh, everyone watching, but it's not bringing in new subscribers, and so they'll cancel it because they can direct that money towards a new show or a new movie that will, people will then subscribe to watch. Yeah. Right, so that's the Netflix model by algorithm and by numbers. This is how our storytelling has been shaped by algorithms, but we can see here that it's also the way they even advertise is fundamentally shaped by these. These are people who are literally just thinking about uh, what can we tweet out. Or mm-hmm. what, they put in a paragraph to cover, or like a really like three sentences to cover what was fundamentally a really complicated story. Because it turns out, once we find out, that the actual director and a writer is a f- black French woman uh, who happens to be Muslim herself. I think she's Senegalese, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, uh, whose story is in, in not in any way, shape, or form the sexualizing of children. Quite the opposite. We find that the story is both a critique of, of sort of traditional soci- societies that, for example, the, the, the discussion of the hijab and whatnot, very typically French, right? Mm-hmm. But also a critique of social media fame, of how young girls are getting so many likes because they're being sexualized, because they're twerking, yeah. right? So it, it actually puts both of these things as not good, as neoliberal liberation as bad. And as uh, traditional as bad. Both of them are being critiqued here. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the story. As far as we can tell, I haven't seen it, but from yeah. what I read from the description and the interviews with the, with the actual director and writer, it's far more complicated than what Netflix made it out to be. But Netflix reduced it to this concept of, oh, these are young Muslim girls who reject 
traditional Muslim society to become uh, uh, liberated via their femininity and sexuality. Which and is twerking. Really, uh, and twerking. Well, well, that's the uncomfortable bit, right? It's like, 11-year-olds awakening to their sexuality, 12-year-olds, hold on a minute, yeah, right? Like, and that's all Netflix. Yeah, and I, it's it's weird, right? Because we see this. There's a hyper-sexualization of teens in, like, Netflix series. So one of their are. biggest series is uh, 13 Reasons Why, Yeah, right? And, um, like, don't get me wrong, 13 Reasons Why does talk about, like, a myriad of different, like, problems plaguing teenagers. Yeah. But, um, it it also had a hyper secular hyper sexualization of teenagers right yeah. like and and that was one of the issues that like parents had with that show that and it kind of glorified suicide as well yeah which is a whole nother topic but like yeah. they do this right and yeah. we've seen this on on mtv we've seen this on like uh tv shows all like skins was one of the first ones that i can remember that like hyper yeah. super hyper sexualized uh teenagers that's where uh dev patel got his uh his start from by the way in the uk yes. series skins yes i uh, forget that he was there yeah he played a, a muslim dude who would party but pray and then go and have sex and drink it was uh, a yeah, yeah. but like it i i don't know about you man but like i remember I don't. I, I feel like I sound like an old fuddy-duddy when I say yeah. this, right? <laughs> but growing up, right, like, if I wanted to watch sexualization, I'd yeah. watch the shows that the adults were watching. So, like, yeah. the 90210s and the things like that. Yeah. I don't remember, like, sexualization being a big topic in, uh, like, Boy Meets World until they were in college. Right. You know? and, right. and then, um, and also uh, Saved by the Bell, like, I don't. I don't remember if there was any sex scenes in Save by the Bell. Maybe I was too young, but like no, I don't think there was. Yeah, there. Like I don't remember any in like teen, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Step by right. Step or any of that well, here, shit. You know. Well, there's a couple things that are that, that point this out. First, one of the things about all those shows and and these shows is that they often have twenty year olds playing teens. Yeah, it's true. Right, people in their mid twenties and like Emma Stone's a prime example of this. The woman's playing teenagers still. She's in her thirties. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I love Emma Stone. But let's be real. That's the, that's the, that's what we're talking about here. It's like the, there's adults that are being played as teenagers. So that's one awkwardness. It 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 makes teenagers look a lot older mm-hmm. and place them in an older bracket than they actually are. Anybody who's seen teenagers know they're fucking children. Yeah, like legit. I work with I work with nineteen twenty year olds and they still look like children to me. I'm not that much older than them, no. right? Yeah. I, I'm in there. I'm technically in their same generation. Yeah. You're old for enough. Most of them. Yeah, you're old enough to be their older brother, not their dad. Yeah, yeah I'm old enough to be their older brother, not their dad. I actually say that this is my way of making myself feel better. <laughs> but it's like still like sometimes you look at me like man, these fuckers are children. Yeah, <laughs> right. Babies. They still got like they still got acne and braces and shit. You know, like, they're little babies. Yeah. They don't look anything like. Uh, uh, the 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 movie portrayals of them are the TV show portrayals of them are now does that mean that some of them don't mature earlier and whatnot no they do certainly mm-hmm. I remember going back to to middle school to pick up my sister I'm like good lord these people are are, are growing up too fast they need to relax right mm-hmm. but the other component of this is that look there's no doubt that teenagers are having sex that's not a it's not a secret yeah right it's like it's this is everyone's doing it it's like, you know that's the reality of it no one's waiting until they're twenty everyone's having sex in their teenage years right yeah and that's the uncomfortable reality of it but there is a voyeuristic glorification component when the media overemphasizes that that you could easily write shows that are 
you know, realistic in that they accept the fact that teenagers are hooking up with one another, right? Mm -hmm. Without making that a central component of the story, without making it voyeuristic, right? In which people are like tuning, like, I never liked Skins because it had that voyeuristic component to it. It was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a little too much, right? Yeah, why should I be watching a show, you know, with like 15-year-olds fucking in kind of pretty graphic ways, right? That's uncomfortable to me. I know that it's fiction, but tell me how is that different from, you know, pornography to a certain extent? Yeah, okay, it may not be as graphic as pornography and certainly not, you know, um, uncensored or whatnot, but it's still, the premise is the same, right? It's about Mm -hmm. titillation of, ooh, a 16-year-old, and that's uncomfortable to me, right? We we should be pushing back on that. And I do think that there is a way in which hypersexualization has become easy media. It's an easy way to kind of be, to titillate people, to scandalize, to make things exciting, right? Is, oh, look at these 16-year-olds fucking, right? The other thing is that I think more broadly as a society, we've, we've, we've defined liberation, particularly female liberation, almost predominantly on sexual terms. Mm-hmm. And I think this may have been a somewhat mistake. Now, I'm very sex positive. I think sex is a great thing. I think it's healthy. Um, but I also think that something happened in the 90s and the 2000s that a whole generations have grown up in which young women's sexual liberation is defined not in complex, nuanced ways, but in them participating in patriarchal standards of liberation. Yeah. Right? In other words, women are considered liberated because, not because the patriarchy is dismantled, but because they can participate equally in it. Yeah. Right. So one of the things for me that, that, that's always been uncomfortable is, is we see this pride predominantly in Tinder, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that, okay, a woman can get laid as much as a guy can get laid, that's considered liberation. But I'm like, is it? That we should be seeing when we see a guy doing that, and the, the double standard is real, right? Hundred percent. Guy does it more; he's considered a champ. When a woman does it, she's considered a hoe or whatnot. Mm-hmm. We should rightly call that out. That, that double standard is weird, right? Yeah. But we call out that double standard, not say, well, we should all participate in that standard. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what makes it uncomfortable. And here's an example of this: if sexual, if liberation is defined predominantly in sexual terms, that means that that uh, women participate in the same type of culture that men do. Now, to be clear, this is not to say women shouldn't enjoy. Everybody should enjoy, enjoy sex. That's yeah. great. That's, That's a good thing. But healthy sex, right? Mm-hmm. Tinder is a prime example of this because, as guys, we can attest to this. Tinder works for men. Now, we can say, oh, it doesn't because if you're not good-looking, it doesn't work for you. If you're a good-looking woman, you know, there's all sorts of arguments. But the reality is that the algorithm favors men because all men have to do is swipe right. Yep. Literally. I have seen it over and over, and you've seen it, right? You'll talk to someone, and they're just swiping right. They're not looking. They're not reading. They're they're just swiping right because they know that the algorithm favors them, that it's just a numbers game. Literally, yeah. That's all they have to do. When I was on Tinder, like... Back in the day, right? Like when Tinder first came out, I didn't fucking, I didn't care who I matched with. It was a numbers game to me, right? Right. Like it was like the the more women that like I can potentially match with, the more likely I am to get laid. Like right. And that's not this hyper this type of sexual hypersexualization in which which liberation is defined predominantly in almost in the quantity of sex, not the quality of sex. Right. Think of think of the sex education, the difference there, right? 
you and I both had sex ed, and mm-hmm. our sex ed told us about masturbation, right? And boners. Yes. You're going to get boners. You're going to masturbate. Those are the things you, right? Women's sex education is almost always about menstruation and pregnancy. Yeah. Now, tell me, that's the real issue, right? We're talking about sexual liberation, how everyone can hook up with anybody. But in the process, women aren't being told about pleasure. No. About orgasm. No, there is no pleasure for women. There is no pleasure for In other words, sex is something done to women. And a liberated woman is a woman who participates in it being done to her. Hold on a minute. How about we talk about, if you want to talk about real sexual liberation, let's talk about the fact that, that, uh, what, 70% of women don't achieve orgasm with their partner? How is that liberation? How are we living in a society where we go, oh, yeah, yeah, everyone can fuck anybody, but guess what? Only guys are enjoying it. Yeah, it's true. This this is the problem, right? So we've defined liberation in kind of funky terms, right? What we call sex positive in the society is weird. And so as a result, we're sexualizing younger and younger. And that's very uncomfortable for me, right? The way in which a 13-year-old is is considered sexually liberated, and we see this, the sexual liberation uh, in this series is is defined by, one, taking off the hijab. Yeah, which... I'll, I'll get into that later. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And then the second way that it's defined is in getting male attention, likes, views, etc. on the twerking videos. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm talking about. It's like, like, okay, hold on a minute. That's liberation? Getting convincing 13, 14, 15-year-olds mm-hmm. that the, the way in, in order to get validated is to get male attention? Okay, yeah. Catcalling bad, but let's stalk and like someone's Instagram giving them immediate satisfaction, you know, dopamine fix. That's good. Hold on a minute, right? It's like <laughs> there's right, something never, broken in this conversation here. I never thought of it that way, right? Is, right? Then isn't cuz like like catcalling is like no one catcalls anymore like that. Right. Really. You, no one the, should, yeah, right? The people who do are fucking like old weirdos, right? Like right, typically. Exactly. Like people our age and younger aren't catcalling. But right. they are fucking going through someone's Instagram and like liking a photo of theirs exactly, from like 72 right? weeks back and commenting right. on it with hard eyes and shit. Exactly. And so like we've been told that catcalling is bad, right? But we've also defined validation via likes, views, tweets, etc. Yeah. And so as a result, okay, we're not catcalling. It's now consensual, but we've convinced people to participate in that. You're still subjecting yourself to the male gaze. Yeah. Right, and this is the thing that I'm that, that that kind of makes me uncomfortable with the way media comes into this, the gendered component of media here, is that it, it's it's able to rebrand without us really critically going. Hold on a minute, why are we defining liberation in those terms? Now, this makes me sound like an old fuddy-duddy, like you said. None of this is to say that we should be uh, like we should assume you know gendered moralities that 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 keep the sexes separate and veiled yeah. and whatnot. none of that i'm saying that we need to think of liberation more broadly than the way that it's narrowly defined here because i think the way that sexual liberation is defined nowadays it's still defined in patriarchal terms yeah i agree with that 100% and and like i've i've seen that right i've seen that with women like online where it's the the ones that are considering themselves like liberated are they're just they're doing the same thing guys are doing mm-hmm. and like all power to them right like i don't give a yeah. shit what you do yeah. right but like i can understand why th- like it's a problem to see like for me to be like 
liberated i have to do what you do right like yeah. I, I guess that i th- i can see why that's an issue right and if you're a 15 year old talking about you know how you're giving great head on twitter or whatnot that's the pro- like that's what it leads to when you yeah. define sexual liberation in those ways right in a very limited way mm-hmm. right then what the uh, unintended or maybe it's intended who knows the unintended consequence of that is a hypersexualization of younger and younger adults because they see that that's the way to liberation yeah right that's the way to get the likes that's the way to get the views that's the way to get the whatnot and that to me is weird that's fair and fucking illegal right but yeah, also like no, really sure. weird so this is why the sh- a tv show like this or a movie like this you kind of go hold on a minute and it's great that it caused some backlash mm-hmm. but it hasn't led us to really question um, the p- premises of these things. Why was it that these girls in the show, and I know that the director's being more nuanced in this, right? Mm-hmm. But why is it that the girls in, these, in this movie thought that their liberation was defined by their ability to twerk? Now, don't get me wrong. Twerk, there's nothing wrong with twerking. Freeing, do your thing, feel yourself, feel your body. That's great. Like That is all types of healthy understandings of the body and of sex are good, and we should support those things. But why is liberation defined in your ability to twerk and then get views and likes from dudes on the internet? Yeah, right. right? It's, it's weird, right? We're, we're making women think that the only way that they're validated is if right. guys validate them. Exactly. We're reinforcing the validation. We're yeah. making it more subtle. We're making it more palatable. Here's the thing. That's what we're doing. We're making, we're making male validation palatable. Yeah. And it we're is. making it's it acceptable. That's all we did. We didn't. What we didn't do is dismantle it to go. Women are worthy inherently, no. without the need for male validation, mm-hmm. right? And why is this? Mo- why, where do we see this most evidently? Right. In one instance, this kind of likes and views and whatnot in order to be liberated, which is what the TV sh- this movie's done. But the other component is look at all the narratives about Muslim women. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about earlier. All right. Yeah. Um. So here's. And I know it's 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 weird because it's two guys talking about this, right? Yeah, you and I, totally. are, we're both cisgendered, um, male identifying, right? Yeah, we have he him pronouns, um, all that stuff. So yeah. for it's it's kind of weird for us to be talking about this and you yeah. know like giving totally. giving our opinion. But I mean, you guys listen to us for a reason, right? Um, so it really annoys me um, for when when white people feel like so uh, let me scratch that when non-muslims have an opinion on what a muslim woman does right right so if a muslim woman chooses to wear a hijab great all power to her i respect the fuck out of you if a muslim woman um decides to take off the hijab and not wear it great i respect you all the power to you right i think the decision should ultimately be up to the woman right yeah and this narrative that like all women who wear the hijab are forced to wear the hijab pisses me off, right? Yeah. Yes, don't get me wrong. I think there are a lot of instances where Muslim families force their children to wear the hijab. There's also yeah. instances in Muslim families where they, they, they make it so their kid can't wear the hijab, right? Yeah. Like, you'll, like, I have cousins who've worn the hijab, and I've had aunts tell them, like, why are you wearing that? Take it off. Like, it's going yeah. like, you know, to affect your life negatively, this and that. And, like, they got shit for wearing it. You get shit yeah. for not wearing it. You get shit for wearing it. Like, you... You're, you're either damned if you do, damned if you don't in, in Muslim society. But as a non-Muslim, you don't get to decide whether someone is oppressed or not oppressed on their decision or yeah. uh, to wear or not wear a hijab. And that yeah. pisses me off. 
Yeah, and, and the representations of this are all almost always in one direction, right? It's always women taking off. The hijab is is defined as liberation. Yeah, it's freeing, right? right? We've seen it in multiple Netflix shows. There was that Spanish show a little while ago that got that caught a bunch of heat because the the hijabi girl in it took off her hijab in season two for a white dude right so it's like this is a common sort of theme is that the the taking off of the hijab is defined as liberation never the other way around that a woman choosing to wear a hijab i mean there that's not particularly mainstream where the other the reverse goes the woman puts on a hijab right yeah and this is evidence in in uh, broader French society, the obsession with the burkini, the banning of the hijab in, in places in Europe. Yeah. There's a very famous scholar, a, a scholar of gender and law in, in Islam uh, called Shireen Razak at UCLA, who talks about this. And she discusses about how the hijab is a defiance of colonialism, right? It's a defiance. I, I refuse to be identified. Same with the veil, right? Mm-hmm. That it's an act of resistance. Of pure resistance. Now we can talk, this This is obviously contextual because the niqab in France is different from, say, the niqab in Iran, which is a mandatory veiling or hijab, uh, hijab uh, law, right? Mm-hmm. So the context here matters. But in the case of a place like France or in the United States, the act of veiling is a defiance of societal regulation. It's a refusal to be perceived, a refusal to be identified, a refusal to uh, submit yourself to the gaze. Mm-hmm. saying, I will not be uh, gazed upon. Therefore, the obsession becomes uh, stripping away that power so that you can lay bare, quite quite literally in a sort of violation co- component, you lay bare the woman. Mm-hmm. And this is what Shireen Razak talks about, is why these burkini bands, etc., exist. It's also why we often see it play out in power dynamics, right? Police officers demanding that women take off their hijab. TSA agents demanding that they take them off publicly. Yeah. Right? We've seen it multiple times on, on Twitter and whatnot, things going viral where a woman who was a job, who wore a hijab, would have to take it off uh, in front of everyone else because the, the, that's what the, uh, uh, police, officer, the police officers agent. or the power agents were doing. Like, yeah. This is an actual act of agency. But also we see that this, uh, this sort of act of violation and obsession with possession and view. The gaze is an act of possession. I can view you whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. is evidenced in, in porn trajectory, in porn trends, right? So yeah. I have a colleague who talks about how everything in society, all the dark and dirty things about society can be understood in uh, the trends that appear in porn. If you look at the uh, porn trends in the uh, late 20th century, right? 80, the or 70, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and black exploitation, right? Yeah. It's about the component of, of black women being exploited. Uh, you look at the war on terror. Hijabi porn became a thing. Yeah. Right? Hey, so, Literally. So yeah. then what's going on with this incest porn that's like popular now? So the, I have a, we'll, we'll talk about that in a different episode. There's a whole <laughs> conversation to be had okay. about this. But if, if we open that thing, it's going to be a rant into capitalism. Sorry. And we don't, we don't want that. <laughs> but there is, there's, a whole, there's a whole conversation about incest porn that we could have about why it's a thing, right? My bad. Um, and mind you, like, all of this is really secondhand for me. So I'm all learning about this via, like, like Twitter, what trends are going on. Because as everyone who's listened to this podcast famously yeah. knows, I haven't seen watched porn since my early 20s, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting 
it's all second hand. But well, it, it, you haven't it purposely re- watched porn since your early twenties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Purpose. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Because accidentally, yeah. Black China is not my friend. <laughs> Let's just say. <laughs> right? So, anyways, the point being here that is the, the, the concept of the hijab is to unveil so that you can view that person. Defining it, this neoliberal definition of saying that is liberation, is literally saying women must subject themselves to the gaze of the state. Mm-hmm. In order to be liberated. And that's funny. Like this comes at the same time. You know this, this thing comes out at the same time. That Patriot, Patriot Act uh, was cancelled. Right? Yeah. Uh, has, by uh, Hassan Minhaj. Yeah. Uh, Hassan Minhaj's show is cancelled by Netflix. Yeah. Which it sucks. Because like. Look. I'm going to be honest with you. Alright. Muslim representation is fucking terrible. Right. Yeah. Hassan Minhaj has been the only like. Muslim stand-up comedian who hasn't had to like shit on his parents like making an Indian yes. accent to get famous. Yes. Right? He hasn't uh, like shat on Muslim women like yep. to to get famous because we've seen it, right? Like who who's ex- of Muslims that are accepted in today's society, right? That have yep. like their own like platforms or TV shows. Number yep. one, it was Aziz Ansari, right? Yeah. Fucking shat on Muslim women, shat on Islam while he could. Yep. Like he made himself like yeah, I'm not. I'm a Muslim, but I'm not really a Muslim. Yeah, you know? His whole pork thing, right? Yeah. And masters and none, right? Like it's a very deliberate. Yeah, like uh, yeah. I'm. I want to know guns you can like, right? Kumail Nanjiani, right? Yep. He had the like, he had that uh, movie, The Big Sick, where like he shits on brown women and then ends up marrying a white woman, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I get it. In real life, you married a white woman. Cool, good for you. No one fucking gives. But did you shit. need to make brown women the pu- the yeah. punch of the joke? Yeah, the right? the, the, yeah. the like the the fucking punchline of the joke yeah yeah um R- rami rami is the worst person on his show speaking of fucking <laughs> people on the- rami poor guy bro okay rami's show does a lot of good right and i think yeah. it's a good it's a decent representation for like muslims but uh-huh. it's also not a it's not a good representation it's decent because yeah. he doesn't shit on muslim women but he shits on like just muslims in general yeah um so not a great representation but eh, it's decent when you look at it Right. Um, and then Hassan's been the only one who's been out there that has been unapologetically him, right? He fucking yeah. corrected Ellen DeGeneres' punk ass on how to say his name, right? Yeah. Like, he's been unapologetic about who he is, where he's from, and he stands up for something. And he was getting ratings. People yeah, love that no, show. No, he's also one of the few comedians that does speak truth to power. I mean, how often do you get a brown comedian that's gonna, is willing to call out Saudi Arabia? Yeah, that's right. willing to call out India. That's willing to call out the China, the Uyghurs. Like he's openly speaking truth to power. He was very good at what he did. Um, he got banned in a bunch of those places, right? Mm-hmm. Which again shows you how what Netflix is willing to accommodate and whatnot. Um, and, and his show got canceled. And maybe it was mutual. Maybe it was like he's like ready to move on to bigger and better things. But that's a problem, so. right? This is the thing. This is the thing that we are we're at. Whereas. Certain aspects of brownness, Muslimness, are palatable and acceptable. It's when they become part of the representations, uh, once they become part of the hegemonic representations, right? Mm-hmm. If they're defined as being liberated in a particular way. Muslims that are non-practicing Muslims is another very common thing, right? It's like, oh, he's Muslim, but he's not practicing, so it doesn't make a part of their identity, yeah. right? 
It's just a little checkbox. Oh, he's a Muslim, right? We see this a lot, right? And I actually did a, I did a review of a book, um, which is uh, Representations of, of Muslims Post-9-11. Really good book. Um, and I reviewed it, and, and I published the review about it. And one of the things that it noted is that there, there is a shift. There is it, for example, for in the 90s, there were only Muslim men you would ever see. Yeah, and I was about to say. Yeah, there are good moments. Like we are seeing more Muslim women, we're seeing Muslim children. That there are more representations that are happening, but but they all do fall within a certain particular type of framework. A Muslim woman that needs to be liberated because she's fallen in love with a white dude. A Muslim woman that has been uh, liberated because she's taking off the hijab. In other words, you have to appeal to particular standards of beauty and particular ideas of sexual liberation. Sexual liberation is defined in hegemonic terms. Mm-hmm. You have to be part of that in order to be considered liberated. Is a Muslim woman considered sexually liberated if she says that I don't want to be on Tinder? Or is she considered oppressed because she doesn't want to be on Tinder? She's considered oppressed. Right? So that's the question. Why is she considered oppressed? Right? Mm-hmm. What, what is it about uh, a Muslim woman that she needs to participate in that particular hegemonic culture in order to be considered liberated? Right? Why is it that we define liberation in these narrow ways? And that's the question we have. None of this is, a, this isn't just about Muslim women or women. It's about these social standards that exist, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, our justification for mansplaining this episode, yeah. right? But it's like, the, these are the real questions. Like, these standards exist. How do we tackle them? How do we, you know, do, how do we deconstruct them? Because they, they are complicated, right? Sexual liberation in of itself is a good thing. But if Sexual liberation produces a hegemo- uh, participates in a particular hegemonic understanding of liberation, right? Mm-hmm. Is the is the house mom not considered liberated? Is the woman who who's asexual and doesn't want to participate in in sexualized uh, societies, then is she considered liberated? Right? Like these are real questions that we need to ask and unpack. And I think the the representation here is only the surface level. It's what that's mm-hmm. what kind of show that's the mirror. We look at it and we go, okay, this is what we're seeing. But there's like a deeper issue there. Right? It's like, okay, Netflix fucked up. Netflix fucks up all the time. It's a billion dollar company. It'll be fine. Yeah. People will watch this movie. Yeah. They still will, right? Let's be real. But the real question is that this highlights for us much deeper issues that that we need to be asking questions about. Like, you know, is Tinder, you know, participating in in liberation or is it upholding a particular patriarchal standard? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, the same with facts. The same with all these like Bumble supposed to be the one that hey it puts the power in the women's hands. Eh, Does it, though? Yeah, does it just just because a woman is able to respond to you, or she's able to uh, uh, message you, you know, first? Message you first doesn't necessarily mean that the entire power dynamics has shifted, right? Yeah. So I talk to any woman who's been on Bumble and see how the awkward conversations, the awkward interactions that they still have, right? And we can all talk about beauty standards just more broadly. We can talk about beauty standards, right? What type of men are getting approached first? White men. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's the beauty standard, right? So, is it really empowering, or is it just participating in another form of of social hierarchy? Right, whiteness. Yeah, right? there. 
That's what get, ends up getting you you uh, communication on on Bumble. And all of this is to recognize that while we're talking about this, about the kind of harmful effects of this, we can also acknowledge that these apps are super important and useful for the LGBTQ community, right? Who yeah. often have to find virtual spaces because IRL spaces are unsafe. So all of these, all of this is to say, I don't think I have an answer. You don't have an answer. No, 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 no answer. But bro. it's but we have some questions. Yeah. If you don't got the answers, I don't either. Bro, yeah. unless we're talking we, but, sports, but we've all got questions about this, and I hope that we can start having this because I think we're in a weird moment where I'm like, I'm, I guess I'm getting older, but I'm not comfortable with 14 year olds being sexualized. Nah, bro, it's it's, it's too weird yeah. for me, man. It's too yeah, weird. like like a 14 year old. I don't want a 14 year old boy or girl or non-binary or anyone to yeah. participate in that type of culture. That's not to say none of them should be having sex. Look, they're yeah, teens; they're always going to have sex. Do that, right? but. Don't. I don't want the voyeuristic, yeah, right? Like us, that, like being titillated by it and be like, "Oh yeah, you're empowered." Yeah. Now take off your shorts. Yeah, like that yeah. fucking uh, Alex from Target kid, you know, like yeah, little fifteen like, year old being sexualized by fucking Ellen DeGeneres' creepy fifty year old ass. Like, yeah, you're just like, oh, not that. like let them let the let kids be kids, right? Yeah, if and get rid gonna, of fucking child beauty pageants. Yeah, if they. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of beauty pageants. If they're gonna fuck amongst themselves, let them fuck amongst themselves. If they're gonna whatever they let them do their thing without the rest of us society moralizing, defining them, telling them that they need to be liberated or not liberated, or or what just let them do their thing without us turning the cameras on. Yeah, cancel toddlers and tiaras. (laughs) There we go. That's what we're gonna leave it today. This was a really good conversation though. Fun. Um, Fun. This was really fun and we really dived into like some really good topics let us know what your thoughts are obviously again two dudes here we are gonna have uh more women on here and and uh we're gonna be inviting their opinions Uh, we would invite your opinions as well we'd love to hear what your thoughts are about this it is is there is this the moment should we be having this conversation about how liberate sexual liberation has been defined in very narrow terms can we talk about hypersexualization or if we talk about these things does it accidentally re you know def- re you know redeploy some oppressive ideas about sex right mm-hmm. that reintroduces shame and whatnot maybe we need to be careful about that so we invite you to to have a conversation with us and Diz is gonna let you know how you can get a hold of us yes you can catch us on facebook facebook.com slash currently nerdy twitter at currently nerdy instagram at currently nerdy we're on tumblr currently nerdy.tumblr.com uh we're on youtube youtube.com slash currently nerdy we're on Stitcher, Google Play, and the iTunes podcast app. Hopefully, we'll be on Spotify soon. We're trying to figure that out. So if any of you yeah, guys know how to cool. get us on Spotify, uh, hit me up, bro. Let me know how to do it. Um, and also, give us a five-star rating and a review on, on, on anywhere you can because the more ratings we get, the more people that can listen to us, the bigger we yeah. can get. Um, so, yeah, do all that. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of us individually, you can. Um, this is normally where I would give it to the guest host or V, but they're not here. So, Ali, how can they get a hold of you? You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at A-A-O-L-O-M-I. Twitter for uh, the cool history and academic threads that I put out. And Instagram to see a peek behind the, the curtain, so to speak, of, of all the stuff I'm up to. Uh, you can also catch me on our sister podcast, Head on History, which just released a new uh, interesting episode. Uh, about uh, astrology and the apocalypse and i've got a really cool episode coming up really shortly about uh the jinn war the great jinn war uh so it's going to be quite interesting and the the head on history is kind of reorganized into a monthly podcast 
Uh, so definitely go check him out there. Diz. You can find me everywhere at Dizbulla, D-I-Z-B-U-L-L-A-H. If you want to see uh, me uh, shit on people on Twitter, then look <laughs> for it there. And also, I'm on our brother podcast, Currently Nerdy Sports. Season 2 is coming up shortly. We just did our fantasy football draft. So we will be talking fantasy football with what's going on in the pandemic. Uh, so check that out, soundcloud.com slash Currently Nerdy. And hopefully Ali finds a way for us to put that on iTunes this season. Know, seriously. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, stay smart, sexy nerds. All hail the currently nerdy empire.